A big thank you to the Rogers Orchestra. What beautiful music this morning. We're, we're blessed to have that, even virtually. And if you're just joining us, you're joining us currently in the middle of a series called Songs of Expectation. This week we pick up right as Mary begins her beautiful Magnificat. She has just been told by the angel Gabriel that she is with child. If you have your Bibles or your phones at home, you can join me beginning in Luke 1, verse 46, where Mary has a spontaneous response to the angel's declaration. We just heard it, but I'll read it again. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on my humble estate. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. This unconstrained song is both prophetic and poignant. It is a song of activism and confident hope. It reminds us that the gospel is good news for everyone. It also immediately confronts all of our ideas and assumptions about power and privilege, good and evil, blessed and cursed. It is a song of obedience. Obedience to something greater than ourselves. Obedience to something that we cannot and will not ever fully understand. Obedience to the mystery, to the process, to a new life taking form inside of us. Poet and essayist Kathleen Norris writes this about Mary's song of obedience. She says, Mary proceeds as we must do in life, making her commitment without knowing much about what it will entail or where it will lead. I treasure the story because it forces me to ask, when the mystery of God's love breaks through into my consciousness, do I run from it? Do I ask of it what I cannot answer? Shrugging, do I retreat into facile cliches, the popular but false wisdom of what we all know? Or am I virgin enough to respond from my deepest, truest self and say something new, a yes that will change me forever? This song of obedience, this yes, changes the course of history and has the power to erase all the no's. Mary's yes flies in the face of all the endless grasping for power and position. Her yes has the ability to erase the no's of Eden, the inability to trust without knowing everything good and evil. 
the choice to go our own way. Mary seems to embrace this mystery with hope and confidence. The fact that her first response is a song tells us that while this news must have been overwhelming, it was good news for people who had been longing for hope, waiting to be heroes in their own stories, wishing for some life beyond Caesar's rule. I have found that children and those who are marginalized seem to understand God more clearly than the rest of us. Mary certainly did. After all, the Jews were under Caesar's rule, living in his empire. Caesar is perhaps one of the most effective and controversial characters in all of history. He epitomized strength and dominance, power and prosperity. And if you did not buy into his capitalistic system of ladders, then you were forced to adhere under strict Roman rule. Mary's song of obedience confronts us with the gospel. It rejects the gospel of Caesar, the notion of ladder climbing and upward mobility, and boldly proclaims that the way of Christ is different. That the way of Christ takes a downward trajectory through a womb. Her song reminds us that the God of the universe could have chosen to rule with military strength, propaganda, bullying, or by wielding of his power or annihilating the enemy. Instead, Yahweh chose the womb of a teenage girl to reveal something about his character and his kingdom. We learn from Mary's song, in contrast to Adam and Eve, that our personal freedom, while important, is not always primary. That's a tough one. And that sometimes obedience is the most beautiful gift we can give to humanity. Thus we see, even before the birth of Christ, a clear disparity between the empire of Caesar and the kingdom of God. In an excerpt from a prayer by Walter Brueggemann called Newborn Beginning After Caesar, as only Brueggemann can do, he illustrates the stark contrast between Caesar's empire and our own. He writes, We also dwell in the land of Caesar. We pray for the gift of your spirit that we may loosen our grip on the things of Caesar, that we may turn our eyes toward the baby, our ears toward the newness, our hearts toward the gentleness, our power and money and control toward your new governance. We crave the newness. And while the decree of the emperor rings in our ears with such authority, give us newness that we may start again at the beginning that the innocence of a baby may intrude upon our ambiguity, that the vulnerability of the child may veto our lust for control, that we may be filled with wonder and so less of anxiety. Power and privilege versus powerlessness and vulnerability. It is not the romantic, action-packed story that the Jews were hoping for. 
And perhaps it doesn't really fit our description of what a God of power is supposed to do, is how he is supposed to do his business. Either way, this is the story we are left to grapple with. For better or worse, this is the Christmas story with all its paradox and mystery and nuance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, after being being imprisoned by Hitler's regime in 1943, writes letters to his fiancée and parents around Christmas time. In one such letter, he sums up the confrontational nature of the Christmas story. He writes, And then, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong and that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault, that is all. God is in the manger, wealth in poverty, light in darkness, succor in abandonment. No evil can befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who is secretly revealed as love and rules the world and our lives. Through Mary's song, we see that all our ideas are wrong. And her song begins to paint a picture of a new way of being. It teaches us that the way of Christ is not a ladder. It is a downward trajectory through a womb. And we see this clearly foreshadowed in the Genesis account when Eve bears her first son. In Genesis 4.1, turn with me if you have your Bibles, it says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It is interesting because the Hebrew text reads a little more like this. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man, the Lord. The Hebrew implies that Eve already knew that all of humanity would be saved through the bearing of a child. And not only that, she was hopeful and expectant that her first son, Cain, would be the savior of the world. Of course, we know this story ends very differently with homicide and heartbreak. Paul would write centuries later in 1 Timothy that women will be saved through childbearing. Both Eve and Mary's stories seem to confirm that all of humanity will be saved through childbearing. The seed, the offspring, the one born of a virgin will bring deliverance. It has been almost eight years since I was pregnant with my first child. And I am learning again at 32 weeks with my second child uh, just how exhausting <laughs> it is. And I'm reminded of that it is a daily practice in surrender, submission, obedience, of losing control. You hardly know what is happening to your body and a new life is literally taking over. 
Not only is your body changing physically, but there is this internal change that takes place as well. It is your heart and your head, an awareness that your emotions, your freedom, your time, your energy is not just yours anymore, but will be poured into this new life. Mary has not quite had a moment to process her news, at least at this point in the story. Her song clearly indicates that she is not yet experiencing morning sickness or restless legs or heartburn. Oh, the heartburn. Goodness. No, she has just received the news of her pregnancy via divine messenger, and she is excited and confident and alive with hope. Because of her humble circumstances and the miraculous nature of the conception, God was already making a statement about who he was and who and what he valued. Bonhoeffer, in another one of his letters from prison, gives this commentary. He writes, Only the humble believe God and rejoice that God is so free and grand that he works wonders where we lose heart, that he makes splendid what is slight and lowly. Indeed, this is the wonder of wonders, that God loves the lowly. God has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. God in lowliness. That is the revolutionary, the passionate word of Advent. God in lowliness. That is the revolutionary, the passionate word of Advent. Because the way of Christ is not a ladder, it is a downward trajectory through a womb. This young mother's song stands in obvious dissimilarity to Caesar's empire, to Jewish expectations, and perhaps to everything we hold near and dear in 2020. Author and social worker, Caitlin Hardy Shetler, is similarly confronted with the birth of Christ. And in excerpts from her poem, The Real Scandal of the Birth of God, she writes... But then I think of birthing Jesus, the smell of sweat, the salt of a mother's tears on the soft head of the salt of the earth, feeling lonely and tired, hungry, annoyed, overwhelmed, loving. And I think if the vulgarity of birth is not honestly preached by men who carry power but not burden, who carry privilege but not labor, who carry authority but not submission, then it should not be preached at all. The way of Jesus is through a womb, a womb where Christ himself invites us to be born again into newness of life. The way of Jesus is not a ladder, It is a birth canal. It is the conception of something new, and it takes time to gestate, and when it is born, it is rarely what we expect or think we need. It is in the form of powerlessness, emptiness, hunger, 
vulnerability, dependence. And we must be born anew with the Christ child who came to bring peace and justice and light in the darkness. None of us listening avoided our first birth. Neither should we avoid the spiritual process of being born again and again and again. The way of Jesus completely dismantles the ladder. God became a human fetus carried by a teenage mother in a manner that appeared to be scandalous and illegitimate. And isn't that just the way that God works? Doesn't Mary's song encapsulate the beauty and the paradox of the gospel? And I have found this gospel to be compelling. It is so much better than we could have ever imagined because it includes all of us if we are able to join in the song of obedience and surrender. It is terrifying and it is beautiful and it is humbling because when new life takes over, it transforms us, it rounds us out, it permanently changes us. God with us. God breathed in us. God conceived in us. God growing inside of us. God birthed in us. The way of Christ is not the way of Caesar. The way of Christ is a God who intentionally put on flesh to dwell among us. He climbed down the ladder and into the womb. What could be more full of grace and truth? And that is where we find this God. That is where redemption takes place in the pain in the dark, in the process, not in the striving or the climbing, but in the letting go, in the surrender. As humans, we tend to measure obedience by empire, but God measures obedience by embodiment. The gospel is all about embodiment. It is not a hollow shell. It is not an empire. It is not even a well-formed theology. It is a downward trajectory through a womb. Mary is the very embodiment of the gospel carrier of the word made flesh. And this is just the very beginning of the many ways that God rehumanizes us legitimizes our bodies. So what does it look like to be obedient to this way of life? I believe, like Mary, it looks like being obedient to the mystery. Mary has no idea how this is all going to play out. Yet there is this great hope and confidence in her song. Oftentimes when we think of obedience, we think of commandments or right belief. But the gospel requires much more than just believing a certain way. It requires 
embodying a way of being. I believe it looks like being obedient to the process. Mary knows in her heart that this is it. Somehow she knows this is what she has been waiting for and she surrenders herself to the process. This is not easy because as many of you know, most of life is a process, a gestational period, a waiting, a walking in the desert. There are rare moments of beauty and rebirth, but much of it is just trusting the process like Mary. Like Mary, I believe it looks like being obedient to the transformation. Mary not only trusted the process, but surrendered to the transformation. It's so easy to want to control or be in charge of the change. Have you noticed that? Sometimes we do this, uh, Adventist friends, sometimes we do this by eating certain foods or wearing certain clothes. We want to appear to be changed, transformed, different. But as Mary so perfectly depicts for us, once Christ is in you, you cannot control the change. Christ stretches us, confronts us, challenges us, and changes us in every possible way. And it's a beautiful thing. Transformation is fused with hope. And the beauty of Mary's song of obedience, the beauty of the gospel, is that hope can be born in us again and again and again. The mystery invites us into the process, which allows us to surrender to the transformative power of Jesus Christ. And this is the good news of the gospel that defies the system of ladder climbing and suggests that the way of Christ is a downward trajectory through a womb. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.